Hello, hello, and welcome back to the AIP podcast. I'm Ann Chang from Supercharge Lab, and today we have the pleasure of having Tessa Sproul on the show. Tessa is one half of the dynamic duo who are the co-founders of Bubble, a video labeling and distribution platform. They first worked together in public broadcasting, in editorial distribution and digital transitioning, where they helped people understand and adapt to the changing world around them. They built Bubble to help people, brands, and storytellers make the most of AI's new role in the world's information ecosystem. They've developed proprietary AI technology to read video and contextually tag it with descriptive meta te- uh, data, analyzing audiences of existing video content, and then surfacing new video recommendations to people who are most likely going to be enjoying them based on the metadata. So hello, Tessa. It's great to have you on the show today. Oh, it's so fantastic to be here. Thank you so much. And I love that intro. I think uh, I need you to come and help us write some of our marketing materials. (laughs) (laughs) We love to. But before we get started, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got started in this business, what Bubble does, and most importantly, oh my God, I can't get over uh, the name of it. How did you come up with that name? (laughs) It's Video Bubble. It's really that, that it's as simple as that. Um, so our background is, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, both my co-founder and I, Katie McGuire, and I uh, come from public broadcasting. We were both at CBC, which is Canada's, Canada's uh, public broadcaster. It's a quasi-federally uh, funded, but also uses avatorial um, revenue as well to, to uh, create the journalism that, uh, that it uh, distributes. Um, and we basically you know, cut our teeth, learned our way through everything. I was there for 20 years. I started in the, in the radio newsroom cutting actual tape with razor blades. So it's a, I've seen the transition and I've actually led a lot of the transition into, into, the, digital, into the digital space. And um, I would say in, 20, in 2012, I started to get very anxious about how much I was the director of digital at that point at, at the organization. I was getting very anxious about how much... Um, legacy media like CBC and and others, pretty much every other legacy media organization in the world, had abdicated the responsibility of distribution to outside platforms and AI tools that we had no insight into into or understood how how they were making choices um, about what content gets prioritized um, on their platforms. And we, we decided, Katie and I, that we would start Bubble as a, almost like a lab at the beginning, to try to figure out, can we can we use this technology not just to, you know, the way that the other platforms were around amplifying um, eyeballs, essentially, for advertorial consumption? Um, can we use this technology in a, in a slightly different way where we're trying to understand who is the intended audience and how, what content do they need to, to see to help make choices around their lives? So, you know, a little bit, some people blatantly call this naive and Pollyanna-ish you know, in, in our approach to this, but you know what, I, I firmly believe that technology can be used for good. And I firmly believe that this and now I think everybody has understood how how dire the situation can become when we when we kind of ignore the the the, the role of misinformation and disinformation, particularly in our lives. Um, really believe that there is there is a way that technology can help to improve um, everyone's situation in terms of the eco in, in information ecosystem, we need it to make it healthier as well. 
Absolutely. So that's our background. Yeah, so that's such an important story um, and a, a very important message to, to get out there. Vubble has come a long way since you first started out. Tell us the story of how the company has evolved since you first started. And um, you mentioned in our pre-show, uh, pre-show conversation that you were embarking on a research project on cognitive contextual information. Let's get some insight into that. <laughs> a little mouthful. <laughs> so um, when we first started, it was really building building a lot that didn't exist. Um, we could tell that we tried to reverse engineer some of the way that the other al- algorithms were being used for distribution of content. Again, very much prioritized around uh, advertorial uh, presence in that business model. We thought, you know, there's got to be a different approach to this. So we built things like a taxonomy for for labeling of video content. And we focus very much on news and information content because our backgrounds are in journalism, but we can use it and apply it in different ways. Well, we built a taxonomy first and foremost um, that was about the first year was digging deep into what is structured data, library science, how do you actually create um, um, cognitive data around content as well. So not just what is this video about, but also who is it intended for, what type of person might engage with it, what is the tone of that content? So this is before we started to, you know, have tools that could do things like, like you know, semantic reading of, of tone of content. Now we, we had started at the very beginning doing manual human in the loop data labeling. So we had a really fantastic data set, which then we started to embark on research with, uh, with organizations beyond ourselves, so academic largely um, in Canada. Um, and the very first thing that we did was take our data set and then try to create a, what we call a categorizer now, it did become a product, but create a methodology and, and machine learning processes for taking uh, new video content and then making recommendations of what it might be about. Um, so that really focused on the categorization side, which is kind of the, the first step. <laughs> um, and then we have, and then we have the human intervention. We call them journalists in the loop labelers because they actually come in and say, put more context to it. Because journalists actually by profession and by, by, um, training, that is what journalists do. They, they look at what a situation is and then try to create what is the context of this thing around it. And that's where the cognitive data elements come in too. So we, in terms of what type of audiences is it intended for, we use the big five psychological principles and a human journalist and loop editor makes a somewhat subjective decision on this piece of content about you know, the war in Ukraine is intended for this type of person. Why we do that is because we're not just trying to show people what they have already engaged with or what they like. What we're trying to do is give them access to things that are going to nudge them slightly outside of what they already understand and know about whatever the issue is. Um, so you can't go completely opposite and give something a contrary point of view because most people will put their hands up and say, no, I don't want to engage with that. But if we can go slightly outside someone's comfort zone, we can start to actually augment and increase their understanding of, of an issue, a situation. We tend to work a lot in crisis communications. So dealing with the pandemic, dealing with the current situation between Russia and Ukraine, um, are kind of our sweet spot. Um, when I talk about things like the pandemic, being able to understand and interpret what type of information would a person who's vaccine hesitant engage with? Because they're not going to engage with content that is, you know, first of all, obviously not patronizing and that kind of thing, but they may engage with content that, that is um, aligned with other interests in their lives. So can we 
a identify what type of person is that and what 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 signals can we give to our machine to identify that end intended end audience and then what is the video that is most likely or what is the message not necessarily video but what is the message that's most likely going to engage with them so that they can increase their understanding of a very complicated um, issue for sure so what do you think is the future of ai in the media space where there seems to be an incredible amount of information being published daily across multiple platforms like um, short videos on instagram and tiktok how do you think we can create true meaning from the amount of noise we're taking in? Yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. The scale is massive because we still use, we still have human intervention in, in our systems, which, which does come with its own bottlenecks. What we've decided to do is focus on how can we amplify the most credible information, not, you know, um, how can we find and seek and destroy, you know, in non-credible information, but how do we actually try to surface and amplify information that people ought to see, depending on where, where they're coming from. Now, you, you talk about this, it's like, it's like sucking on a fire hose, right? Like, it's, it's impossible to, to, to right now use machines to interpret, understand, and infer what is, you know, this video on TikTok about um, without human intervention and content moderation. So what we're trying to do is figure out what are the what are the ways that we can amplify the best um, and the most credible. And by best, I mean most credible, the most factual, fact-based um, information. And then how do we then seek out who ought to be able to see it or watch it now because of you know, whatever it is that that uh, we're trying to help increase information sharing and knowledge about. Um, I feel that what we're seeing in this moment in the information ecosystem is a deep uh, division between we have um, you know new entrants, so we have anybody can be a publisher now. This the entire you know gatekeeping world has been flattened. There is there is no gatekeeping on TikTok. Uh, there is to some extent, but not not the same way that it has existed in the legacy media form versus this legacy media form where that. It is actually the job of, and some of them do it well, some of them not as well, the job of those organizations to do this work for people. And that's been done for, for populations, for citizens, right? And that's been done, you know, since, you know, the time of newspapers. That's, that's how it worked was you had editors who made choices based on what they felt populations needed to have more information and understanding about. That doesn't exist in a, in a, in the flattened, uh, world of non-media, non-linear, non-legacy media, sorry. Um, and so the challenge is when you have someone like Joe Rogan, who has more potential audience than these legacy organizations, who is also, you know, disrupting things by flattening out, you know, credible sources. He does interview people that, that are credible. He does lots of, you know, interesting work in that regard. But he also interviews as an ampli and amplifies disinformation and misinformation. And that's hugely problematic because what we need is a better critical thinking and media literacy among the population writ large. So I look to our education institutions to help and parents as well of kids and everybody. We all need to do to step up an awful lot more to be able to, to, to form that part of, of the challenge ahead. But then we also need to look to technology as an intervening measure to try to help to amplify information that needs to be understood better and seen more by people. For sure. So um, we're coming to an end to this show and it's been really, really amazing. But let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's up and coming on the horizon for Bubble. 
Yeah, so I'll, I will be frank that, uh, you know, we've had our own challenges over the past couple of years. I know a lot of a lot of smaller companies like ours in in the, in the partnership as well have probably had their own share of challenges. Ours are you know not un, uncharted in terms of uh, in terms of the startup world, but we have two markets that we've largely lived on for the past eight years. Not lived on, but worked with and partnered with and all that. But essentially sustained us, which is the media space, legacy media in particular and also education space to some extent. And those two have, as much as like we all are thinking, you know, things must be incredibly awesome there because, you know, in the education space, everything is turning digital because we've had this, you know, uh, learn at home experience, virtual learning experience. And then in the in the media space, it's been not a shortage of, of news and information that's been happening over the past two years. But what we're seeing is those two markets have to focus on in the media space, how do they pay the journalists? That they have to that they have to employ to actually create the credible content that they're putting out into the world. So that is their number one, and I absolutely appreciate it and just understand why that would be. And in the education space, with the loss of in Canada in particular, the loss of international students, that's that's a sector that's taken a massive hit because now they're trying to figure out how do they how do they just keep enough professors on the payroll. So we're in that weird position right now where we have some money in our war chest to do some research and uh, development of new angles and potentially new markets that we're looking at. Um, and in particular, we've got in the baseline of our technology, we can now do real-time uh, listening of audio. And that's one of the core things that we use for our categories there that I mentioned earlier. It's actually the audio in video that helps inform our machine to make recommendations of what, you know, what categories of content this, this video might be about. So we're thinking a lot around, around the needs in the live audio um, flagging space. So now that we have things like, you know, Twitter spaces and Clubhouse and all kinds of different ways that we're communicating as population with each other around, again, these very complex issues, can we help in a live context? Because we just came out of uh, building out a, a live um, transcription model for one of our one of our customers. We've been doing a bit of service work in the past couple of years. Um, so can we take that and those learnings and apply that with our media context understanding like inference side of things which is slightly human we're trying to automate more and more of that and then produce a, a product that can help in the live audio space so taking a little bit of a deep focus into into audio itself which goes back to my radio roots i guess in some level and my co-founders as well and and trying to figure out if there's a new market there that we can that we can help with as well Sure. Not leaving behind any of the other stuff, but uh, but taking a deep focus on on live audio inference and, and flagging of, of content as as a as a thing that we're going to be doing some deep research in over the next few months. So if anybody out there is interested in it and is already very engaged in the space, please reach out because I'd love to. Uh, we're in the learning mode right now. Absolutely. Well, Tessa, it's been such an amazing time we've had on this podcast with you. Tell us how we can get into uh, touch with you. Sure, you can write me directly on email at tessa at bubblepop.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter, Tessa Sproul, and uh, LinkedIn as well. So please reach out um, and would love to have conversations with anyone who's particularly interested in the space of helping to make our information ecosystem healthier. Absolutely. Once again, thank you, Tessa, for being on the podcast with us. Uh, it's Anne from Supercharge Lab on behalf of the AIP podcast signing off. Thank you, guys.